Would please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be reading from verses 1 through 11. It's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. And I will be reading from the New King James Version. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to, this, to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also. As, one, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. gotten to mention to uh, Ron, I apologize for this, but we need a little bit of help after services uh, putting some stickers on our newsletters, and so we have about 4,000 of those down in the fellowship hall, and if you could help us with that, we need to get those things in the mail this week, uh, so you, if you want to do it in between services or after services, that's fine, but they're down there, we've got the stickers down there. And uh, those are bundled in 100 uh, newsletter bundles. And so take the uh, rubber band off of them, put the little stickers on them to hold them shut, put the rubber band back on them, and I'll get those things in the mail. But we've already got them printed, got them folded, and now we just need a little help with uh, putting the stickers on those. And if we could get that done today, uh, it really doesn't take that long once we start rolling on it, but uh, we certainly would appreciate that. When I came up with the topic for the sermon this morning, I wasn't expecting the phone calls that I received this morning. And then, of course, I received a phone call from Ronnie Jr. about his dad, and that was upsetting phone call, and a few other bad news phone calls I received this morning. But, you know, there are a few subjects that cause as much alarm as the subject of, uh, of death. Uh, none of us like to think about the loss of a loved one, and we do not like to consider our own physical mortality. We just don't like to talk about it. And did you know there are some people who refuse to even take part in the arrangements of their own funeral, and they will not even uh, uh, make a will because they do not want to talk about death. They don't even want to consider it. Now, those things are true because the living does not particularly care about the subject of death. I don't blame them. I'm part of the living. I don't like the subject of death. Now, I've been around it a lot. I've seen a lot of it, just like the rest of us have. We've seen a lot of it. We've talked a lot about it, but we do not like it. But do you know who talks a lot about it? God talks a lot about it. The Bible says a lot about the subject of death. 
Paul warned that spiritual death was the result of submitting to sin. For the wages of sin is death. But he also said the gospel has the answer for sin. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6, 23. Now he also said later in the chapter before us how the work of Christ took the sting out of death. Now, the way that that is put and the way the the original language is spoken and the way we go about translating those things, it sometimes is a little difficult to to understand uh, exactly what the writer intends. It's not it's not impossible to understand, but just the phraseology sometimes is a little more different than what we might put it. Uh, oh, death, where is thy sting? Let me illustrate that for us just for a moment in, in a way that probably we can understand a little better. Uh, a little boy and his father were driving down a country road on a beautiful spring afternoon, and suddenly, out of nowhere, a bee flew in the car window. Well, the little boy became... Uh, very frantic and upset because he was deathly allergic to bee stings. And so the father did what any father or parent would do, and so he just reached over and grabbed the bee out of the air in his hand and just closed his hand around the bee and and kind of squeezed it just a little bit, and then he released it. Well, just as soon as he released the bee, the little boy became upset and frantic again because it buzzed right by his head, and the father said, Now, wait a minute. It's all right. And he showed him his hand, and in his hand was the stinger of the bee. He said, I took the sting for you. You see, and that's what Paul was talking about. He said, oh, death, where is thy sting? You see, death doesn't have a sting anymore. Because Christ took the sting for us. Just much like that bee, the father grabbed the bee, the bee took the sting, and Of course, a honeybee, when it stings you, it leaves its stinger in the thing it stung, and it can't hurt you anymore. Now, unlike a wasp or something like that, it'll keep on stinging you, but not a honeybee. And so, he said, you don't have to be afraid anymore. That's the whole point, right? You don't have to fear anymore. You don't have to be afraid. And so, the little boy could calm down. Uh, It might be scary, you know. You might still be afraid of the bee. It makes noise, right? It's still buzzing around your ears and and you're a little bit younger. So it can still be a little scary. But you don't have to be afraid of it any longer. I've taken the sting away. You see, the Christian doesn't need to be afraid of death anymore. That doesn't mean there's not certain fearful things about it that we may not understand. But after all, we've never been there before, right? Those of us who are alive... So 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 56, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. You see, there's no victory in death any longer because Christ took that away. Why? Because there's going to be a resurrection. Because Christ was resurrected, we too will be resurrected. The sting of death no longer is there, so we don't have to be afraid. He took that away. You see, that is the illustration of that passage. And God understands every person's anxiousness concerning death and our desire to live. He gets it. He understands it. When we go back to the Garden of Gethsemane, do we read about the anxiousness that was on the mind and in the heart of Christ as He approached the cross? Well, sure we see it. 
we see it, we better feel it because it was there and it's there for us to see and for us to feel. And we constantly battle sin and we often fall prey to it, but God still offers hope of eternal life because the grave doesn't have a victory over us anymore if we don't allow it to have a victory over us because Christ took that away and we have the hope of eternal life through that resurrection of Jesus. He was going to the grave and he understood that but the victory wasn't going to be in the grave because he was going to come out. There was going to be hope and it is his resurrection that gives meaning to the lives of people. And it is his resurrection where the hopeless find hope. That's the title of the sermon this morning, Hope for the Hopeless. That's good news, isn't it? Because before Christ, it was hopeless. Being away from the kingdom of Christ, right? That's what uh, Paul told the Ephesians. At one time, you were without hope, being far from the uh, nation of Israel. There was a time when you were without hope because you weren't part of the commonwealth. You weren't part of the commonwealth uh, physically, and you weren't part of the commonwealth spiritually. But now you are. Now you have hope, right? The resurrection gives hope to the hopeless. First of all, I want us to notice by giving me, excuse me, by giving meaning to his sacrifice, by giving meaning to Christ's sacrifice. Now, not all people are going to accept the sacrifice of Christ. In fact, most people are going to reject it, but. But we don't have to be a part of those people. We do not have to be a part who reject the sacrifice of Christ. When His resurrection is rejected, the purpose of His sacrifice is rejected. We don't want to be a part of that. We don't want to be a part of that movement who rejects His sacrifice. That's not what we want. Many in Corinth, after having accepted the gospel of Christ, they turned right around and turned their back on the gospel. That's exactly what happened. That happens a lot in the world. We see that in the parable of the sower. We see three out of the four soils the, uh, uh, that brought forth something, or two out of the four, they were choked out. One didn't even bring forth anything. They turned their back on it. The same thing happens uh, or happened among the Jewish Christians, according to the writer of Hebrews, right? They had obeyed the gospel. They had become Christians and then they were in the process of trying to return back to the old law. They wanted to go back to a system that looked for a Savior. And the writer of Hebrews says, why are you trying to go back to a system that looks for a Savior when He came? That's why He said, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. He came, He's not coming again. You're looking for someone who already came, there's not going to be another one. Why would He come again and give Himself? He already did that once, and once is surely enough. Right? Do not reject Him. And because of that, He asked, Hebrews 10, 29, Of how much sore punishment suppose you shall He be uh, thought worthy, who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith He was sanctified an unholy thing. And hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. You see, when one rejects the resurrection, 
He rejects the blood of Christ. We have to understand that. We can't be a part of that. It is possible to reject the resurrection or not possible to reject the resurrection without rejecting or without trying to leave the church for which he died. See, if we reject the resurrection, we reject the church for which he died. How did he he establish that church? He established it with his very blood, right? He built it with his very blood. He gave himself. He allowed himself to be killed for that. For how many of us will give ourselves for a good person? Well, some of us will. Some of us will give ourselves for a good person, right? But how many of us would give ourselves for someone who's not a good person? How many of us would give ourselves for a world full of scornful people who hate us? So that's what Christ did, right? And a person doesn't have to turn to another gospel to reject his sacrifice. That was the problem in Galatia, was it? Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Paul said, I'm astonished that you've turned to another gospel, which isn't another. It's not the gospel. So quickly you've turned to another gospel. But see, you don't have to go to another gospel. You just simply do nothing. We can just simply do nothing. A person may attend services, but beyond that he may not be involved in the work of the church whatsoever. But the problem is sitting in the pew is not fulfilling the Great Commission. Most of the world will reject the resurrection, but the Christian must rely upon it. The Christian must rely upon the resurrection, right? Paul told the Romans that baptism was figurative of the resurrection. See how closely united we are into the resurrection? It's a part of who we are. Notice what he said in Romans 6, 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? We're baptized into Christ. That's how we get into Him, right? And because it is in His resurrection where life is received. How do do we begin a new life? It's in His resurrection. It's, where do we find hope? It's in His resurrection. How do we get into Him? It's in His resurrection. How do we become Christians? It's in His resurrection. It's all about His resurrection, right? We have to have His resurrection. Therefore, we're buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 4. We have to be connected to the resurrection of life. Our newness of life is a result of having been resurrected from the grave of baptism. Without it, it is impossible to be what we ought to be. Like Christ was raised from the tomb of death, we have to be raised from the grave of baptism. It is the like figure, right? It is the antitype. It is the, the, the similar thing. That's what he's talking about. If a person does not become obedient to his plan of salvation, he cannot inherit the life he offers. Now let's go to the parallel teaching that Peter was talking about. 
1 Peter 3, 21 through 20. Peter put it this way. He said the like figure. Now let's let's back up a little bit, kind of give the context about what he was talking about. He's talking about how Noah preached to the people prior to the flood. And that how Christ, through Noah, preached to those folks. Okay? who at the time Peter wrote this letter, were in the Hadean realm. Okay? At the time Peter wrote this letter, those people had died, and that now, in the present, when Peter wrote the letter, they were in the Hadean realm. But before that, Christ taught them through Noah prior to the flood. And he said that only eight people were saved during that flood, right? But why were those people saved? Ask a good friend of mine one time. He's trying to he's trying to tell me he said you're saved by faith only. I said no I said, now listen, we're not saved by faith only. I said, How was Noah and his family saved? He said they were saved by the ark. I said, well, how did Peter say they were saved? He said he says they were saved by the ark. I said, let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. He read it. He would not say they were saved by water. He was reading it. He would not do it. Noah and his family were saved by water. Is that what Peter said? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. They were saved by water. And then we get to 1 Peter 3, 21. The like figure, Right? Whereunto baptism doth also now save us. What kind of baptism? Well, baptism is baptism. It's water, right? That's what baptism means, immersion. The like figure whereunto even immersion, that's what baptism means, doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. How do you put away the filth of the flesh? You get in water, don't you? You wash. He said, that's not what this is. We're not talking about bath, taking a bath. But the answer of a good conscience toward God. What's baptism do for us? It cleanses us spiritually and it cleanses our conscience. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What, what allows that to happen? Because Jesus Christ was resurrected. See how closely united we are to the resurrection of Christ? Where does our hope come from? The resurrection of Christ. Our baptism is formatted after the resurrection of Christ who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto Him. Peter said all people were subject unto Him, but Christ already said that. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Matthew 28, 18. Since He is the seat of authority, all people must submit to Him. If He says it, it's the truth. Period. If he says it, we're to follow it. He that believeth, you have to believe in him, and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not, if we don't believe in him, we're going to be damned. My friend told me, he said, but he didn't say he that believeth not and is not baptized. Well, he doesn't have to, does he? He doesn't have to do that. If you don't believe... You're not going to be baptized. But he's talking about two different things, right? He that believeth and is baptized, that's how we're saved. 
Now, if you want to be saved, that's the way to be saved. Now, here's how you go to hell. Don't believe. Don't believe. That's how you go to hell. If you want to go to hell, don't believe. If you want to go to heaven, believe and be baptized, right? Now, that's what Jesus said. He's the authority. The resurrection of Jesus gives hope to the hopeless by giving meaning to His sacrifice, and it gives meaning to our salvation. That's our second point. That's our second point. Without His sacrifice... There would be no salvation, and salvation means we who live do not have to fear death. Why? Took the sting out of it. Took the sting out of it. It's like grabbing the honeybee, right? Might be some things about it that make us uneasy, but we don't have to fear it. We may not understand everything about it, but we don't have to fear it. Right? We don't have to fear it. That's the thing about it. Paul, in a very straightforward manner, addressed that very notion. He said this, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep, those who are dead, in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19. So what he's saying here, if there is no resurrection, our faith, our lives, and our hopes have been misplaced. Now here's the good news. There has been a resurrection. There has been a resurrection. Too many witnesses. Too many people. Right? uh, Too many people saw it. If there is no resurrection, we face death just like the rest of the world face death. Without hope, without confidence, and without assurance. But because of Christ's sacrifice, because of our salvation, we have hope, we have confidence, and assurance. Again, that's why Paul asked, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? There is no sting and there is no victory because Christ took it away. He gave us the victory. He took the sting away, and He took the the victory away from death. His resurrection gives hope to the hopeless. He came out of the tomb, and so will we when He returns. The greatest gift that man has ever been given, the resurrection. What's the greatest birth? Christ's birth. Christ's birth. The uh, The greatest death that's ever happened the greatest, most selfless act of a person giving himself for anyone else. Has any has a person ever given themselves for, for anyone? Countless people, right? Parents have died for their children. Soldiers have given themselves in battle. But the greatest death that has ever happened in this world is that of Christ. But without the resurrection, that birth and that death, what does that get us? It doesn't get us very far, does it? We have to have the resurrection. Now, with the resurrection, that's the greatest birth, that's the greatest death, and that's the greatest resurrection. Now you've got the gospel. But it takes all three. The death, the burial, the resurrection. You've got all three of them. You have to have them. You have to have them. But without the resurrection, see, that's where it's at. It gives us hope to the hopeless. Paul says this, Romans 6, beginning with verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death... What's he talking about? He's talking about baptism. 
We've been planted together. How else have, have uh, Christians been planted? That's the only way, right? For if we've been planted together in the likeness of, of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. We have been buried in the water, and then we come up out of the water. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. We have to come into contact with the blood of Jesus. We get over to 1 John 1 verse 7. We have to walk in the light and His blood will continually cleanse us. Well, we have to first make contact with that blood so our sins will be washed away. That's what He said, wasn't it? When He instituted the Lord's Supper, this is my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Okay, so how do I come into contact? Well, I'm buried with Him into death. Okay, when I am buried into baptism, I'm planted with Him. His blood washes my sins away. I come up, Romans 6, 34, to walk in a new life. I'm a new person. Right here, Romans 6, 5. The old man is, is gone. I'm walking in a new life now. I was planted. Now I'm raised up. That's the resurrection. We're just like the resurrection. That's how important it is, right? I'm freed from sin. There's only one way to end the fear of death in this physical world. The fear of damnation in the next world. Right? And it begins with becoming a Christian and remaining faithful until we leave this world. Also, our salvation in Christ will never allow us to forget His sacrifice. We always need to remember it. Keep it forefront in our minds. Throughout His ministry... Paul always credited God's grace for his salvation. And he always extended and honored the fact that it came through Jesus. He always recognized that. He said, For by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 8, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now we have to understand this idea of works, right? We're not working our way to heaven. Someone says, well, when, when you uh, uh, talk about being baptized, that's a work. No, it's a work of God, not a work of man. Now, notice again, for by grace you are saved through faith, and, th- and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of yourselves. Who came up with the plan of salvation? God came up with the plan of salvation. He said, believe. Someone asked Jesus, how do I work the works of God? He said, believe on Him who sent Him. Believe on Him who He sent. That's a work. Faith is a work. Work the works of repentance. Right? Repentance is a work. Confession is a work. Baptism is a work. They are works of God. They're works of God. Not works of a person. That's the difference, right? Where do they originate? The plan of salvation originates in heaven. He told the Christians in Galatia, For you are all the children of God by faith. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. See again, we're baptized into Him. That's reminiscent of the resurrection. Each week we stop for a few moments to memorialize the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our worship. That's how important it is. We need to recognize that, right? As we gather around His table, we take the emblems of the Lord's Supper. 
We're doing what faithful Christians have been doing for almost 2,000 years. Recognizing that. The first century Christians always observed this memorial. And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Acts 20 verse 7. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about a love feast. He's talking about the memorial supper, right? It was so important to the founding members of the Lord's church and all faithful members that they observed this every first day of the week. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, Acts 2.42. We remember His death and resurrection because it's important that we never forget it. In fact, it is essential for our salvation to never forget what He did for us. Christ's resurrection gives hope to the hopeless by giving meaning to His sacrifice, to our salvation, and it gives meaning to the scheme of redemption. There is a biblical pattern to salvation and Christ's resurrection is the basis for our faith. Paul reminded the Corinthians that they had accepted the gospel uh, he preached, which included the foundation, the uh, the resurrection of Christ. That's foundational. You take the resurrection away, there is no gospel. has to be a resurrection. When we accept the gospel, we do so based upon His life, His death, and His resurrection. Take any one of those away, and there is no gospel, right? Without resurrection, there's no redemption. How many people have come into the world and claimed to have been born a man of God and to have died a man of God. Untold. How many have been resurrected a man of God? One. We take that away, and he's like every other man who's claimed that, right? Without that fact, we have no basis for our religion. Listen again to the words of Paul. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality... Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord." Because we are assured of His resurrection, we have confidence and faithfulness even when death visits us in this life. We can know that. We can be assured. The resurrection is our basis and because of that we're bound by it. We're bound by it. We never wander from the central message of the gospel. The resurrection will only benefit us if we hold to the truth of the gospel. That may be the most important thing. If we lose confidence in Christ, not much else is going to matter in this life, right? Even if one does not forsake Christ, he does. But if he's just wishy-washy in his beliefs, everything he does simply becomes just a religious rite that really doesn't mean anything. Using the example of a scruple, Paul warned, Romans fourteen twenty three, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. But the application can be made 
Without confidence in Christ, actions are not actions of faith. If we just perform because we think maybe this is right, without having the faith in Christ, you know, it was said of Elvis Presley one time, I'm a fan of his music. I'm not a fan of his theological beliefs. He wore the Star of David and the cross around his neck because he didn't want to miss out on a technicality. That's a heartbreaker. That's sad. That's not confidence in Jesus Christ. Right? That's not faith. A person like that doesn't get to heaven. Let each of us ask ourselves, can I with confidence say, I will be with Jesus in the resurrection? The truth is we're all going to die one day. But will we all live again one day? That's the question, right? Any who will obey the gospel today, or those who have and who will repent of sin standing in between them and God, can be confident of that answer. Because of Christ's resurrection, the writer of Hebrews said this. Hebrews 2, beginning with verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see, the resurrection gives hope to the hopeless by his sacrifice to our salvation through the scheme of redemption. If you have not yet experienced the redemption found in Jesus, or if you've been unfaithful, answer His call today as we stand and as we sing.